The role of our gut instinct as a decision-making tool has been an interesting point for Greek philosophers for centuries. But in that case, why does it feel like it's been left unsolved? Feeling our gut instinct is a universal human experience that doesn't seem to be a concept that's heavily understood. Why? Is it because it's irrational and we can't do scientific studies on it? Is it because it's fast and it doesn't take time to take the time to sit down and write a pros and cons list? But the reality of using our gut instinct is that we compromise accuracy for a quick decision. This episode, I cover five main topics. One, the impact of first impressions on the way we perceive people. Two, when our instincts about people are wrong. Three, the role of instinct when we decide whether or not we would date someone. Four, whether or not something was a gut feeling or if someone else's opinion has influenced us subconsciously. And five, when our gut feelings do more harm than good. Hey, it's been a long time and I missed you a lot. I hope, well, I think it's, mm, do I hope you miss me too? I don't know. Um, But I missed you. I missed this podcast. I'm glad to be back. I'm so excited. I just have a bone to pick with myself because basically every time I sit down to record an episode, I just have to practice and learn how to use voice controls and like all the DJ buttons again. And like, I'm not a DJ. I don't even know if DJs use the same controls. They definitely have more controls than the controls I have on my podcast. But the buttons are just so hard. Like what even, what is an EQ? And like, do I want to compress the sounds or limit the sounds? And I just, I don't know, I just press random buttons. Um, But I turned everything off and I just had to teach myself all over again before I started recording and now now I think I've got it anyway I am so glad to be back I took a hiatus from this podcast for a month just to work on and think of this think of this episode because it's a big topic and it's super complex and super meaty way more meaty and complex than anything we've covered on this podcast before um but I think it's definitely worth talking about. And on top of that, I've been doing so much yoga and Pilates. My core strength and my arm strength um, is a lot stronger than, say, a month ago. Which is good because it's one of the goals that I had going into yoga and I'm glad that I achieved it. I think if you do like yoga and Pilates classes, it's really hard to quantify your progress because it's not like you're breaking your own personal records, right? It's just same class you just hopefully um like do it with more ease or you don't have to take as many breaks it's really hard to quantify progress but I feel like that's okay and and I try to quantify everything else in my life so if it's in my exercise like not quantifying it is okay but whole point is I've just been doing so much yoga and pilates and I haven't really had time to sit down and think about this topic But after a whole month of being away and of mulling and digesting the ideas, I am ready to sit and chat about this. Life update, I moved on to a different rotation, super exciting, we have to get up at 5.30, um, which is a 
definitely a lot earlier than what I'm used to and high than compared to like high school and uni but I'm really enjoying the 5 30 a.m wake up life um it does mean that I have to be in bed by 9 30 and dissipates or destroys every opportunity or chance I could have of a social life but as long as I like go out lots on weekends and then during the weekdays like go to bed at 9 30 I don't really mind I wake up feeling refreshed um and I have no sun exposure at all. So that means no to skin cancer, but also probably a crippling vitamin D deficiency. Someone in my cohort got vitamin D deficiency, um, was diagnosed like a couple of days ago. And I think I probably have that. So, mm, yeah. Anyway, let's get on to the episode. So... First impressions play a large role in the way we perceive people. And this comes from our gut instinct. We are using our gut instinct when we are judging people for the first time. The list of qualities that we're judging them based off of is different for everyone. And it also ranges for people who are more judgmental to people who are less judgmental. Sometimes the characteristics that I kind of think about are like, are they a calm person? Or are they super flamboyant and energetic? Are they confident and bold? Or are they shy and meek? Are they kind? Are they arrogant? Are they classy? Are they clowny? Um, Do they seem smart? Or are they a bit aloof? Are they attractive? Are they not? Blah, 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 whatever. Um, I also think I'm a little bit of a judgmental person. So not that it's something to be proud of, of course. But like, that's why my list can be a little bit extensive or whatever. But... Most judgments are very superficial and they're made within seconds. And that's really difficult because the first impression can be a lasting impression. Based off of Boston University's public health article about a TEDx Portsmouth talk about first impressions, it only takes five seconds to judge someone on first impression. And this is really interesting and also brings me to another point, which is The fact that first impressions can be so long-lasting and can have such a big impact on the way that people perceive us, but the fact that they're done so quickly and kind of instantaneously um, means that it has an effect on the way we like talk to people. And it can also explain why we are so nervous when we meet new people. It's because we want to make a great impression. And we want to be looking and feeling our best when we go to, say, a conference or a house party with a lot of people we don't know. We want to elevate and show off our most interesting and charismatic or easygoing parts of ourselves. But that's not necessarily the case. You can't always be feeling like the best version or like feel the most motivated and empowered version of yourself every day. A side note is that sometimes like I I have to remind myself not to care too much about another person's first impression of me and not to care too much about what other people are thinking and how they judge me because that also changes the way that I view people as well. Sometimes you have to consider like this today was a day like an off day for them. Uh, maybe they're having a really bad day and so they're not actually normally this pessimistic or this closed off. It's just happened to be today. 
sometimes that one conversation was really boring and that's not really a reflection of how interesting they are or how interesting I am. It's just that that just happened to be the direction of the conversation and we just have to move on from it. And it doesn't have to be a really big deal. It also means that when you're less harsh on other people, you can relax on yourself a little bit. You can be a bit more um, like nonchalant about the way people are perceiving you. And in with this mindset that I'm trying to adopt, it is making going out and like being in new environments a lot more fun because when I'm less tense and and worried about how I'm carrying myself, I can have more fun. But sometimes our instincts about people are wrong. And the problem that I have with gut instincts is that when I meet new people, it's really hard for me to change the way that I see them. Uh, sometimes, like, just that first five seconds can sort of determine whether or not you would work well together, whether or not you would be friends. And I think it might be because I have a relatively good ability to read people. I feel like, out of, like, it's kind of my thing, like, like sometimes we all have things that we think like, oh, like it's my thing. Like I'm, I'm kind of good at it or I don't really have to think too much about it. It just comes naturally to me. For me, it's reading people's emotions. I kind of feel like I have a good understanding about, like a good understanding of differentiating between people who are genuinely nice and people who are nice performatively. Um, whether or not I have like the ability to hide my feelings towards people I don't really I don't really think I'm good at that if I don't like someone I think they know uh it's yeah I I like and like we might not even discuss the fact that like I don't really like this specific person but yeah oh anyway I'm getting off track whole point is I yeah so I'm quite good at like judging um or like predicting my relationship with a person when we meet for the first time and can most of the time kind of like tell whether or not I would we would enjoy each other's company whether or not the conversations would be good whether or not we would want to be friends but a lot of the other times I'm really wrong and it's good to be wrong about your first impressions because if it's a negative one at the start then it's like a happy serapendic what is serap serendipity serendipitous moment where you become friends with someone you didn't think you'd become friends with and it's happened to me quite a bit too for example i've had friends or this one friend in particular we met a couple months ago through this extracurricular activity and we would have to work together for the whole year and in my head i just thought like look we're so different he is a bit older, he's some gym junkie. I am intimidated and terrified by gym junkies. Even though now like I have more friends who are big gym gym bros or whatever. Um Yeah, I think this person really I just did not see myself ever enjoying this person's company. Um or getting to know them or like even being like very open and honest and uh, vulnerable with this person but then suddenly 
out of nowhere I think just like some part of me saw like how soft and gentle this person was and I got to know him a bit better and now I think we are really great friends and I like this friendship is very fulfilling for me and for someone who I thought that I would not really be friends with or ever like ever like really contribute to the friendship I think because we're just so different um like there are so many things we have in common and our values and like the things that we care about are really similar and now every time we just like spend any time together we like time passes really quickly and then suddenly we're like 30 or 30 minutes or an hour into some deep conversation about like what like our romantic lives or like our parents or what kind of like how we want to raise our kids or whatever I think it's just really interesting and for someone who not not that I say like I cancel people out of my life but for someone who makes first impressions and like lets the let I like I let my first impressions of people get the best of me and I don't really like care much about learning about other people or like getting to know people if the first impression that I have of them is like not particularly like wonderful or if I don't really think th- if I don't really think that I would like get along with them well I don't really make an effort to and I think thanks to this friendship it's taught me that just because you think you might not like contribute much to the friendship and just because you think that they might you might not be like amazing friends it doesn't really hurt to be open to friendship because you might experience a really lovely surprise and he supports my podcast and listens to it so I want to say thank you so much thank you for being a really good friend and I've mentioned I I have told him this I was I did say like when we first met I just did not think we were going to be friends and now we are friends and I'm really glad um that we're friends and I find our friendship to be really fulfilling and something like I really care about this person I really care about our friendship and just this person in particular and our like relationship together really came to mind when I was thinking about gut instincts and when your first impressions are wrong but that being said it's not possible to be friends with anyone of course um this is a sidetrack it's just a, a note but I also think that as much as I would want to be open to friendships with everyone and like sometimes you might meet a friendly person but then they might think you're not friendly so they don't really open up and they don't really like make an effort I think like it's a good idea to just sort of be an open and friendly person in general it doesn't mean that like I failed myself if friendships like like friendships don't happen with everyone and you wouldn't want to be friends with everyone right because that's an indicator that you've stretched yourself really thin you've diluted your personal religious or political or social opinions to the point where you're you're palatable to everybody um and then that also means you just lose 
any interesting part of yourself. I think it's like it's taken me a while to come to terms with this, but it is definitely okay to be disliked by people in an extension to like it's okay it's always been okay to like not be loved by everyone but I think it's okay to be disliked by people because they just don't have the same feelings towards you uh what they just don't have the same beliefs and values as you and there are some people who I wouldn't want to like me like because we just care about really different things and if we were to become friends we would argue all the time and right like for example I care a lot about specific social issues um I read about them I like watch documentaries about them I participate in social advocacy it's something I really care about and it wouldn't really make sense for me to be like particularly close friends with someone who frowned upon that or like like doesn't care about advocacy you know um and it all ties into the whole being okay with like not being liked by everyone but that is also a point I have to make too just because it's good to be open to friendships with everyone doesn't mean that you want to be friends with everyone but back to what I was saying before I definitely think that most of the time a really great bond can come out of an unsuspecting friendship And it takes time. One person has to be open first and then the other person gently reciprocates in order for a really great friendship to grow. Um, And even if someone seems unfriendly or unexciting or chaotic and if those are the qualities that you're not really like looking for in friends, that's okay. Um, And don't be too turned away by like your feeling of not wanting to spend time with them because inside and deep down there could be something that is really interesting and there's something that you could even learn from you just need to get to know them a bit better to sort of unpack it or unleash it and the qualities that may be like off-putting in a first impression can actually be that person's strength for example if someone is unfriendly on the outside, doesn't really approach people, kind of keeps themselves, seems or appears to be judgmental or like not that, like not that much of a like a, a friendly person, that's okay. Um, and it also probably means that they are really good at setting boundaries, being bold. They probably have a lot of confidence in themselves, and doesn't feel like they have to, like doesn't then like they may not have the people pleasing tendencies that I have and so like you 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 know like they're probably just a really great person it's just the qualities that I kind of what am I even saying yeah just like if you meet someone and they seem to have qualities that like make you not want to be friends with them don't be too turned away from it because sometimes those can be their greatest strengths. Yeah, that's what I want to say. And that happens vice versa too. If you meet someone who seems unexciting, like un, unfruitful or whatever, un, and they, they're not really passionate about anything, they just seem to just go about every day, living the same life every day, that doesn't necessarily mean that they would not be an interesting person to spend time with. 
sometimes there's a lot to learn from spending time with a person who's so grounded and so like content with their own company that they don't really feel like they have to be extremely flamboyant or extroverted to have a good time at an event you know what I mean the other problem with first impressions is they're mostly one-dimensional you see them for the first time and this first impression is like a screenshot but in the screenshot there's it captures their personality their appearance their character in five seconds but when we're meeting people we're meeting people in this particular circumstance on this particular day um, like at a party or whatever there's no way to really understand how good of a person they are how good of a friend they are how interesting their interests are or how much you have in common or what their really niche and unique traits are so even though first impressions are really quick and help us sort of get a general idea of what this person is like and whether or not we would want to spend time with them, whether or not we would enjoy their company. It also means that there's no way we can do anybody's character justice with a first impression. So why put so much of an emphasis on first impressions altogether? But that being said, I still trust my gut when there's, when I meet someone who I don't click with. And the reality is, like as a person who's quite open and like open to making friends and quite um, like extroverted and like I think I'm a good friend and I'm a nice person oh I am I feel like I'm a kind person and compassionate person just because like you may have these qualities in yourself it doesn't necessarily mean that all the people you meet will have the same qualities and so if your gut instinct is telling you like this person is really deceptive I've or like this person just seems a bit malicious seems a bit calculative sometimes it's okay to decide like yeah I never want to work with this person this person seems so competitive they would stab me in the back and feel no remorse or you can like judge a person's carelessness and like lack of like they don't really care much about their life they don't really care much about their body um and think like oh I would never trust this person to drive me. They're so careless with their limbs. Um, (laughs) But I can't really, like, say that too much because I'm not a particularly good driver. I'm not a really... Yeah, sometimes I just forget road rules. But that's not all the time. It's just sometimes. The interesting thing about gut instincts is even though we all have them and maybe we are born with them, they are always it's always developing and I like to think that the longer we live the more accurate our gut instinct is and that's probably where the like rhetoric of like really trust your elders or like listen to people who've lived experiences before you because they're probably really good with their gut instinct because they've used it so much and refined it so much every time you make a judgment based off your gut instinct and you're correct you sort of that experience probably goes into your brain and is used for the next time you use your pattern recognition skills and the same thing for when you 
make a judgment and it's wrong. Like every time your gut gut instinct fails you, it probably does like lock somewhere, lock itself somewhere in your brain and you pull it out the next time you're experiencing a similar situation. So I didn't really like listen to my parents much about like in the past about like what what they think of my friends, what they think of my partner, whatever. But now after seeing them like be so much more accurate than me, I like I'm I'm so open to it. If I like invite a friend over and my parents are like, mm, I don't know, like this person just isn't clicking with me, it would maybe like play some factor into sort of how I like feel about this person not entirely but it has a bigger role my parents opinions on my friends has a bigger role than it did like five five years ago you know next the role of instinct when we decide whether or not we would date someone this is super interesting because when you meet someone there's the irrational parts about you know vibing what are their vibes are they do like do you have chemistry romantic tension those are all things that you decide based off gut instinct but then there's also criteria that's super rational like are they motivated are they compassionate are they kind to you but also to other people who aren't you I think something that I have decided is for me chemistry is super important and that's not like romantic sparks kind of chemistry. I think that's important at the start but the longer like when you date someone for a really long time the sparks fade but sort of your what is it compatibility doesn't. So like sparks and attraction and like chemistry is super important at the start but that's not really like the main factor anymore for me it's more like how well do we suit each other in conversation how well like how much how attracted to you am i how how much do i like like spending time with you so those things are gut instinct things and now I just use my gut instinct to basically rule in all the people that I like would consider dating and then with each of them I would use like specific objective criteria to rule out people not that I'm like interested in dating at the moment and not that like I'm even surrounded by enough people to have like a rigorous process of ruling in and ruling out. I'm just saying that using your gut instinct as the primary limiting factor or what is it? Limiting reagent? What is it? Like using your gut instinct, a gut instinct as the first set of criteria is a good idea. Because why would you look at it rationally say like you use your ra- like rational reasoning when you want to 
when you're deciding whether or not you're going to date someone, say they meet all the criteria. Say that they're super compassionate. They're very motivated. They're kind. They are independent. They know how to drive. They know how to cook. They are clean. Whatever, like rational criterion. But you don't really like spending time with them. Well, then the whole point of assessing them goes to waste because the most important thing, which is like enjoying their company and loving like their ideas or whatever, or like loving the way that they make you feel, like that that's so important. And if like it's not there, then doesn't matter how many rational criteria they meet. It doesn't. It does not go. It doesn't go anywhere. That's just my two cents on it. Um, obviously, not everyone has the luxury of like picking people like this, and sometimes you know, people are um, like sort of like they don't have a choice but to marry specific people, like be with specific people. But I'm just saying, like using using your gut instinct in picking a romantic partner is probably the best idea but there's a big rebuttal against this this argument coming up so hang around hang hang around for the part where i talk about um like attachment styles another aspect of the role of gut instinct in decision making is like the contemplation between whether or not a decision that you've made in the past was based off gut instinct or whether or not it was fed to you subconsciously. This could be for a variety of decisions. The, de- the example that I'm going to go with is career. So like as a student now, my take on it is like it was my gut instinct to go into medicine. I've wanted to go into it in a, for a really long time. I like instinctively really enjoyed it, was really good at biology. Even though I was like really good at maths too, like biology was like kind of my favorite. Um, science was my favorite, like human interaction, you know, caring for people, like all those qualities, whatever. Like it's always been something that I wanted to do. And just like a little little tiny seed of not doubt but like something's just been ticking away at me or growing inside of me is like the like wondering if it was entirely my gut instinct and if it was entirely my decision or if I've been influenced subconsciously first by like by people I know like my parents right like they kind of always would like would have preferred if I did medicine so or maybe it's like the way they kind of hype up this career how they elevate it how they kind of like point out things like oh like look at this career like this has a really good lifestyle um you could you know work three days a week and spend the other two days playing sports or not that I would spend my two days playing sports what would I be doing like painting or Um, bike riding oh but I don't really I'm not really good at bike riding anyway 
back, back, back. I keep, I keep losing track this episode. Anyway, so my parents would perhaps elevate medicine as a career or like kind of put it on a pedestal and make me kind of go like, wow, you know, it, it would be really cool to be a doctor. But that means that it's not entirely my gut instinct anymore. And it's just kind of been like, mm, my parents really like this career and they think like it's a good match for me. Maybe it is, you know? Another way that your gut instinct can be compromised is by society and the way that societal um, like ideas can infiltrate into your subconscious. The way that you know this career there's a lot of prestige and there's a lot so many like perks to being in the healthcare field or you know like maybe subconsciously like because everybody around me wanted to do it so I was kind of like mm, I want to do this too or could it be like a subconscious like wanting to do something that is competitive because I'm a naturally very competitive person and after kind of like all these ideas coming up I think what I'm most like what I've settled on is it's likely that this has always been a decision based off my gut instinct based off my own passion like I feel and because I'm on placement and I like interact with a lot of a lot of like different members of the team and I really love it I think like like this is not something I regret, but I have to always remind myself like, hmm, like remember, like, yeah, you're really enjoying yourself now, but there's a possibility that like this was an entirely, an entirely autonomous decision and that, you know, you've made these decisions based off of societal or familial influence. But in reality is the reality is that most of the decisions we make are influenced by society um and then that goes to the conversation of you know the male gaze and patriarchy um or like we behave the way that other people expect us to or whatever you know so it's not particularly damaging or like unique but Sometimes you may think you made a decision based on your gut instinct when you didn't. Okay. Now comes to the meat of the episode. Or, yeah, the meat of the episode. Some of the most, the more psychology-based concepts. So, while I was sort of brainstorming for this episode, I had a little epiphany which is and I realized that most of the rhetoric around successful romantic relationships comes from people who just say like when you know you know or like when you meet them you just know or when you're in it you just know that this is the person you want to spend time with or be with forever or whatever but there are times when you or when we need to specifically not trust our gut there are times when trusting our gut can be really bad for us and put us in situations 
that may not be technically dangerous for us, though it could be, but sometimes our gut can put it put us in to really unhealthy relationships. What do I mean by this? So sometimes we want to spend time with people who make us feel the safest, but we not we may not necessarily be the safest when we feel the safest. Sometimes we feel safe, but it's actually masking the underlying problem, which is we feel comfortable with this person, not that we are safe. We feel comfortable and the kind of love that we're receiving, the way that they're making us feeling, feels comfortable because this is what we're used to. This is the kind of love that we've received as a child. Do you kind of get where I'm going with this? Like, just because you feel comfortable doesn't mean that it's necessarily what's the best for you. And I'm a big believer in trusting my gut. I'm a really big believer in like being with someone who makes me feel excited, who I have a lot of chemistry with. But I'm learning that your gut instinct isn't always smart enough or powerful enough to be the biggest factor in your decision. And there's a lot of evidence that the kind of person that you're attracted to and the kind of relationships that we put ourselves in or enter are really just reflections of the kind of love that we were exposed to as a child. And before I delve into that further, I need to cover two concepts that we haven't covered on this podcast before um, and that is attachment styles and attachment styles and the different types of attachment styles as well as how attachment styles as children shape the way that we love as adults and I've tried my best to get into the evidence-based psychology behind these concepts But disclaimer, I'm not formally educated in psychology. This is purely for my own personal interest and like my passion for sort of like researching things that I like and I'm interested in and sharing it on this podcast. So I know that I am going to be providing a very simplified version of very complex psychological concepts. But here's what I understand. There are three attachment styles. One is secure, two is anxious resistant, and three is anxious avoidant. Secure attachment occurs when adults feel confident that their partners will be there for them when they're needed and and they're really open to depending on others as well as being depended upon. Questions to ask yourself to decide if you are you have a secure attachment style is do I find it relatively easy to get close to others am I comfortable depending on them and having them depend on me do I find myself not worrying about being abandoned or someone getting too close to me and if you sort of answered yet answered yes you likely have a secure attachment style and that's seen as sort of like the the most desirable attachment style it's the most healthy the other two are less healthy anxious resistant and anxious avoidant 
So anxious, resistant people worry that others may not love them completely and can be easily frustrated or angered when their attachment needs go unmet. So if you answer yes to questions like, do I find that others are reluctant to get as close, are reluctant to get as close as I would like? Do I often worry that my partner doesn't really love me or won't want to stay with me? Do I want to get close to my partner but find that this sometimes scares them away? Then you're likely to have an anxious resistant attachment style. The third one, being anxious avoidant, is seen in people who appear not to care too much about close relationships and might even prefer not to be too dependent upon other people or to have others be too dependent upon them. They would typically answer yes to questions like, am I somewhat uncomfortable being close to others? Do I find it difficult to trust them completely and do I find it difficult to allow myself to depend on them? Am I nervous when anyone gets too close? And do I find that other people often want me to be more intimate than I am comfortable being? So those are the three attachment styles. And interestingly, adult romantic relationships are like summarized or can be relatively can be categorized into these three attachment relationships. And more interestingly, they can be observed in the same way relationships between infants and caregivers are observed. So there was this experiment um, and you had a parent and a child in a room and they would play, they would interact and it would be filmed. Then the parent would leave the room and come back with an entirely different disposition. They would be solemn and stoic or um and then they like observed how the babies reacted there was also this other experiment where the parent would leave the room and come back and observe the the baby's reaction to the parent coming back essentially are they like happy that their parent has that that the caregiver has come back or Are they upset when the caregiver has left the room but is comforted when the caregiver comes back? And if they are, then this kind of baby exhibits a secure attachment style. Whereas anxious, resistant babies react differently. They become distressed when the caregiver leaves. But when the caregiver comes back, they exhibit conflicting behaviours that suggest that they want to be comforted but also want to punish the parent for leaving. And then finally, anxious avoidant babies don't appear distressed by the separation with their caregiver and continues to avoid seeking contact with their parent even when they return. As you can see, these caregiver-infant relationships mirror really like closely, closely mirror adult romantic attachment styles and John Bowlby a British psychoanalyst who tried to understand the intense distress experienced by infants who had been separated from their parents back in the 90s um, 1970s and 80s believed that whether or not an adult is secure or insecure in their adult relationship 
may be a partial reflection of their experiences with their primary caregivers. So from what I understand, you can't assume that attachment patterns are going to be stable from infancy to adulthood. And just because a child was um, displaying, uh, what is it? What is the anxious avoidant attachment styles as a child? It doesn't necessarily mean that they will always seek like, ang- like relationships that sort of enable them to continue to be um, anxious avoidant as adults. But generally adults who were, are secure in their romantic relationships were more likely to recall their childhood relationships with parents as being affectionate and caring and accepting. And that leads to a very separate discussion on like how important it is to like be emotionally open and reciprocative parents. Um, but that's, that's not in the scope for questions in your 20s no way maybe like if I turn 30 and have like a questions in your 30s podcast I might cover that okay so we've covered our bases we've done the psych pre-reading together now let's apply that to gut instinct and like not trusting your gut instinct so we can sort of understand why we like particular people now and why sometimes we feel the most safe or at ease or at home with people, it doesn't really mean that we're a particularly good match. And if you grew up with very emotionally distant parents who didn't give you the attention that a child needs, maybe they weren't very playful and childish during your most childish years. Maybe they didn't love you in the unconditional way that a child needs to be loved. Then those feelings of emotional uncertainty and that feeling of having to work hard for the love and attention of your parents and the sensation of feeling neglected are very familiar and people like people who might have like grown up with not really sort of perfect parents may get into relationships with people who make us feel the same way that our imperfect parents made us feel not that parents should be perfect and I don't think no parent like any parent is ever perfect but I'm just saying like if you weren't really if we weren't in secure relationships with our parents as children then we it may be harder for us to be in secure relationships as an adult and these are just, you know, just my thoughts, my witterings. Um, if you disagree, like, that's fine. Actually, that's great because it would be so boring if we all agreed on the same thing and we um, we all thought the same way. This is just sort of my understanding of it. Um, and I, you know, we all had very different upbringings. So I hope this hasn't really struck a, a chord with people or like haven't made you feel too uncomfortable um if it has I'm really sorry that's not my intention at all these are just my observations and just from the psychology that I'm reading anyway um so besides our instinct this is kind of why we need to have 
some rational baseline standards that aren't affected by the way this person makes us feel. Something to lean on or some set of criteria to lean on that doesn't rely on our gut instinct. And you can have a list. That list can include things like, is this person a kind person to people like to me, but also to people who aren't me? Are they a motivated and driven person who doesn't need to be sort of walked, like doesn't need their hand held through life? My final remarks about gut intuition is that, are that our intuition can play a really powerful and helpful role in our decisions about romantic partners, about how we make friends, how we forge our career paths, and other really big decisions in life. Our gut instinct is a really quick and easy tool we can use to make decisions because it's almost instantaneous. There's no evaluation of facts. We don't have to make a pros and cons list to make these gut instinct decisions because it's just a gut feeling. But sometimes we can't trust it. Sometimes it's really volatile. We cannot rely on this decision-making tool that is so easily impacted by small factors like how much sleep we had last night. Because if you didn't get as much sleep last night, then you might be feeling more irritated the next day and be a little bit more pessimistic about the world. And that might change what would have been your gut instinct um, on a day that you did have, like compared to a day that you did have a lot of sleep. Or you might be so infatuated towards how attractive someone is that it's overpowered um, our judgment of their character and their personality. So on the other hand, sometimes our gut instinct is that this person is really amazing and like someone we really want to be with or be friends with or be in a romantic relationship with. But in reality, it's just how attracted you are to them that sort of clouded your judgment of their character and personality. At the end of the day, even though our gut instinct isn't perfect, I like to trust my intuition and let it form a big part of my decision making, but I do so with a lot of judgment and skepticism. I did a lot of research for this episode and would particularly like to reference Quita Christensen, a Cambridge youth engagement activist and her talk on redefining the first impression as well as R. Chris Fraley from the Department of Psychology at University of Illinois and their article on attachment. Finally, the School of Life's video on YouTube titled Why You Shouldn't Trust Your Gut Feelings. So thank you for tuning in this week. I had a blast like I always do. I hope you did as well. I hope it was entertaining. It was fun to just sit and chat about this. And I'll see you next week. Bye.